Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I'm your host of the Living a Better Story podcast, and today I'm with Beth Fisher, and she can be found at bethfisher.com, and she is a speaker, author, and transformational coach. So uh, I love working with these kinds of folks because we all need to be transformed from time to time, every day sometimes. <laughs> so Beth, great to have you on the call today. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chad. Excited. Yeah, so you're in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it sounds like it's still 95 degrees there compared to our 75 degrees. So um, hopefully soon you'll come back down by 20 degrees. Yes, looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of sick of sweating over here. Like the second you get out of the shower, you're still sweating. So what was it up for? <laughs> That's right. Well, I was raised and well, born in Madison, Wisconsin and lived there till age five. But we go back there every couple of years. So whether it's in the freezing winter or the hot and scorchy summer, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's always uh, it's always interesting to go back to Wisconsin. That's for sure. Well, let's dig in. I like to kind of help our audience get to know you. And the best way I've found to do that is to go back to when you're younger, like, a, mm. you know, five, six, seven what are some of your first memories? I don't think most people remember when they were two, but I actually had someone say, oh, I have a vivid memory at age two the other day. And that, yeah. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, not two for me, but definitely four. And um, some of my earliest memories are standing in a front yard of the home in Northeast Ohio, where I grew up, waiting to go next door to a party. And they were older people brother and sister, twins, I believe, who are getting ready for a party. And I was like, what time can I get there? Because I want to be the first one. And it's so interesting to me. I think this is your point, how from a very young age, we are wired and the things that we're doing. And to this day, um, yeah, I still like to be the very first one at kind of all things. So, um, you know, as I continue on in my journey, even just, you know, elementary school, I was always just exploring. That's what I was doing, like, regardless of where I was, whether I was inside of a school or outside, I would just look for areas that were not in use or abandoned or like interesting and secluded, kind of off limits, right? And I would find a way in. I just wanted to know more. I was perpetually curious. Like, who are these people? What is this place? I was always the girl asking why. Like, why are things this way? And more importantly to me, why are they off limits? Like, who decided that? Who I'd like to have a conversation. That? Wow, so that's, in charge here. that's great. Well, it's funny because I think when I was younger, I was always punctual and on time. 
my best friend at age six, all the way up until about maybe two years ago, he was never on time, <laughs> the casually late guy. And so it was actually a learned behavior that some of the benefits that I saw of him going late and, and scarcity uh, actually worked in his life. And so I've, I actually oftentimes will be five minutes late to a Zoom call or even an hour late to a party. Uh, so it's interesting to, to see what happens when we're younger to what happens over time. Yeah. Very cool. So, so how does that tie into what you're doing now? Obviously, the word curiosity is the mm -hmm. one that's going ding, ding, ding in my head. Um, how does that play in what you do today? Oh, yeah. Interesting. So I had 25 years of corporate sales and consulting in the for-profit business world. And I just was always, again, going into organizations, sort of industry agnostic, any shape and size and saying, tell me why. Why do you do things like this? Why does this seem to make sense to you? How are you organizationally structured? And then in January of 20, I shifted careers completely. So now I am by title, the chief advancement officer for a homeless shelter, Meltrider Ministries in Grand Rapids. And I had volunteered here for three years, never expecting to be on payroll, like on staff. And I had taken a sabbatical to write a book and had every intention of going back to my corporate world. And I was at a leadership conference and somebody here on staff said, how's the book? What's going on? I'm like, well, I'm waiting for it to go to publication. What can I do to help? She's like, you know how to raise money, right? I said, yes, what can I do to help? She said, no, send me your resume. So, you know, my curiosity is always, how can I do things differently? Like I was in a career that by all intents and purposes was comfortable. Um, you know, I had 25 years of it, a large customer base. I enjoyed it. I love people. I'm an extrovert. So, and I love business process. So I thought, well, why would I change? But yet there was a curious side to me that went, okay, you know what? Like midlife, midlife is a thing. I'm in it. <laughs> uh, my daughter's 24. What would it look like if I didn't always do this? And like, if not now, then when? So I'm a big believer that God opens doors and our job is to walk through them. Easier said than done, but I walked through this one and here I am. So it just really kind of, my curiosity allowed me to walk through something I had no idea what I was getting into. That's really neat. I mean, 100%. And I, I'm in the same boat, right? Midlife. And my daughter just went to college. Today's her first day of college. Oh, yay. <laughs> so that's neat. And my son went last year. So we went to the mountains this weekend on our first empty nester weekend going. Yeah. Oh. And it it's was just weird. for one night randomly at the last minute. Right? So. It's a weird transition, even though you know it's coming. You know your kids are going to get older. It's not until you're in it and you just kind of look around and you go, oh. Okay, here yeah. we are. What do we do? Yeah. Well, and now to your point about where you're working, I'm still trying to figure out what path does God, where does God want me to help? And I, mm -hmm. right now it's a pretty wide net with living a better story. And I'm like, okay, if, if, if you want me to go wide, we'll go wide. But you know, it's, it's fun to kind of listen and pay attention to what the message is right. and where right. to focus. Um, so Life often has curveballs that happen. And, you know, I call it the gut punch. That's like, oh, this is terrible. Is there one you're comfortable sharing with our listeners? And how did you make it through the other side? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, live enough life, right? And, um, oh, yeah, I've got some doozies in my resumes. I like to tell people it's a very checkered resume. Everything that I had on my to-do list uh, was not always, right, 
it's not a linear path. So a lot of those things I did not see coming and therefore didn't know how to navigate and traverse exactly when I went through, which is why I care so much about giving back and helping people to get unstuck because I found myself stuck. And for me, I grew up Catholic. I tell people, I tease them jokingly, I'm Italian and Irish. I didn't have a choice. I was going to be Catholic. <laughs> and, and with that came a lot of Catholic guilt and uh, I'm, I'm very performance-based, right? I want to be the first person. I want to get all the A's. I want to be all the things. The older I've I become, the more I realize that it's so not where it is and it's not important. However, um, I went to college. I went to the Ohio State University. I'm living in the enemy state in Michigan. <laughs> and uh, I married my daughter's dad. My daughter, I mentioned, is 24. So I married him right out of college. He moved us seven hours away from family and friends. So I have a new baby, a new job, postpartum. Didn't know what I was doing in life. I had this job. I'm like, what's business? Ah, I don't know. I'll figure it out. So he moved back to Ohio kind of without us. And I found myself in the middle of a divorce that I didn't see coming. I felt very guilty from this because I learned in Catholic school, right? Thou shall not get divorced because then thou will go to hell. That was what my ears, my performance mindset taught me. And in the middle of all that, when I was sort of picking up and just one foot in front of the other, working, raising my daughter, she was not quite two. She was a year and a half old on my own. I had to move out of the house. I couldn't afford on my own but I'm working and I'm like, I'm going to do this. In the middle of that is when I was diagnosed with leukemia and they said, there's no cure for this. You're probably going to die. You're not going to make it. Wow. Yeah. So I was 25, 25, new baby. Olivia was a, a year and a half old. I am a single mom. And all I kept picturing was my baby growing up without me. Like, she's never going to know me. I'm not going to be able to be a mom. Um, I don't know what to do. I don't even, I don't even know how to spell leukemia. I don't know why. Is this really cancer? I went through the period of grief sort of in whirlwind, like warp speed multiple times. So the thing for me that I've learned, the older that, and then I'm now 22 years, 22 years cancer-free, um, is that you have to sort of have that experiential understanding because you can read all you want about. You can hear other stories, but it's not until you actually go through a process like that, that you find out, you know, how to give back and to share with other people. I had a lot of people, as soon as I had a bone marrow transplant in Cleveland, Ohio, 35 days, I was in the hospital. I was the only person that walked out alive. I was making friends with everybody else who was there for the same reason. I'm like, we got this, you guys, let's go. And one by one, they all died. And in my theological Catholic brain, I thought, man, I thought I was the sinner. I got divorced. What did these folks do, right? I could not reconcile that. I had mm. no understanding of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Didn't get that yet. But when I got out of the hospital, people would say to me, wow, I bet you're so close to God now. I bet you stop and smell the roses and you're so appreciative of everything. The thing was, I wasn't in that moment. I was 25. I was exhausted. I was spent. I wanted to be with my baby. I wanted to go back to work. I wanted to be independent again. So there were all these expectations on how I was supposed to be feeling, and I didn't feel those things. So for me, I had to get through it from the standpoint of allowing myself the grace and space to say, you know what, they might mean well, but you're doing okay. You know, it just, you're doing okay. You're with Olivia and you're able to go to the grocery store again and you're here, you're alive, right? Just giving thanks. So gratitude for me has been a huge game changer as well as 
being present in the moment. I know it's cliche, but before that, I was always like, I'm going to do these 86 things on my to-do list today. I want to go achieve and succeed. And now I'm like, to what end, right? I am here. I'm alive. Today's a new day and I get to do new things and enough will be enough because as soon as we accomplish the next thing on our list, there's always another thing to put on there. Always. And so that is just, that's just a a rat race that I don't want to be in anymore. (laughs) That's amazing. It's funny because every weekend I always push things to the calendar and, and, and there's still things, right? There were probably 20 things on Saturday morning and, but yet I'll look at it. And then Robert White, who's my business partner in living a better story says, Hey, I want to update my website. When do you have time? I'm like, well, I'm flying to Atlanta on Wednesday. Let's do it on Saturday. Because all those 20 things are just, they can move easily right? Mm-hmm. To another day. So this life still happens. We still need to accomplish those tasks, but they don't take priority over the more, the more important tasks. Right. And, and that's why it's Saturday morning, usually from about six to 10 when everyone else is sleeping. Yes. Um, the thing I notice on your website, which is neat, and, and I think the timings, of course, God always plays these chips nicely, but it says you're one decision away from getting back on the right path and living like living like you matter because mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. And so a friend of mine who is from Atlanta, Daryl Stinson, he just wrote, put a shirt out that says you matter on it and it's black and white. And I'm like, man, that's a good one. And then my wife shopping at Target last night, and she sends me pictures of a book and pillows. And Target has a thing called You Matter now. So I think, you know, these grouping of people saying, hey, we matter. No, we matter. No, we, no, you matter. Every one of us matters. And we all have our own unique needs and requirements and unique fingerprint in life, right? That's right. That's right. So, all right. So tell me about, Uh, And thanks for sharing. Like, I think a lot of our listeners go through stuff in life and maybe someone has leukemia, maybe they're going through divorce and you had the double and, and you made it, you know, and you find, and you figure it out. So at what point I heard you talk about uh, a little bit about faith, at what point did you between 25 and now, what clicked for you to go, Oh, wow, God, Mm -hmm. you're good. (laughs) Like, When did that happen? Well, a couple things. I also left out the part of my resume where a month before my bone marrow transplant, I got remarried because, you know, I, till death do us part could have been like Tuesday. I mean, this is, I had no idea. I could not think clearly. I just went, okay. Somebody said swoops in, saves the proverbial dying damsel in distress. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's okay. (laughs) Um, and I was married for about 13 years thereafter. And in my mid thirties, late thirties, um, he left because this is the real me like surprise here I am, you know? And, um, I understand that because when you are, making decisions like that when you're not on solid foundation, right? It's shifting sand, as scripture says. And, you know, and and people grow and change. And yet when you start out from a place of, I don't know this person, and this is what I think that I see and who I think they are, and that's not true, then the rest becomes very difficult. So as I continue to move out of transplant and become more and more physically okay, I went back to school. And I got a couple of master's degrees in theology because I was like, I, I don't understand this, this situation. Why am I here? I had survivor's guilt. I didn't know that was a thing. But I, in my head, I kept thinking, why did my buddies at University Hospitals of Cleveland undergoing transplant, why are they all dead? Like, why are they not here right now raising their kids? I just felt very conflicted. So I like, 
I'm a learner. I said, I got to go back to school and figure it out. Ask all the curious questions. And I think I drove a lot of the professors nuts and I would just like debate, right? And I said, well, who said? Who said? Like, who thinks that just because this is written this way, that it means this thing? So I got into scriptural translations and it really um, was refreshing to me that I was allowed to ask the questions. Sometimes that's enough, honestly, Chad. Like sometimes it's enough to just be able to be in a space where people will allow you the thoughts. Because I grew up in a very rigid, this is the way, that's it. And I went, okay, because I, I, I didn't feel heard. So that was when I really started to understand God's character and his nature. And that the fact, oh, there's 66 books in scripture and it's a story. If somebody told me there's a beginning, a middle, and end, I would have read the thing. I didn't know. I knew a missalette. I was like, oh, Paul's a real guy. That's cool. Didn't know. Um, I just really dove in and I could not stop quenching that thirst of tell me more. What do you mean? I'm okay. Like I'm forgiven this divorce thing We're it's going to be okay. Like this is more of a God loves us unconditionally. And, and being a mom has, um, wow, been the greatest blessing in my life, but also allowed me to understand God's unconditional love for us. Like no matter how much Olivia messed up when she's a teenager, no matter how many times I wanted to just like knock her out for not listening to me, for not obeying my rules. I'm like, oh, this is a story. I get it. God, thanks. Yes. Well, it's funny because when I, when I went through this, uh, there's an online website and it's called onpurpose.me mm-hmm. and it, com- it puts competing purposes against each other until you finally land on your two or three words. And mine that gave me the chills when I got to the end of it, maybe just six months ago or so, was embracing grace. Mm, and I'm yeah. like, oh, and that's what I, that's my, my whole mission in life is to let other people know what you experienced, right? Yeah. And, and that's, and when you start from that, Pastor Travis Hall out of Atlanta, uh, who's friends with Daryl Stinson, in fact, helped save Daryl, to be honest, because Daryl was not doing good at an early age. And um, I met with him and he, he actually did a, group, a four person group meeting on embracing grace. And when you start from that, that, hey, God made you perfect. And we all fall from that um, 100% of the time. There's not one person who hasn't really, except for one. And, um, you know, and, and it's amazing when you shift that mindset. And, and, and lean into that. It's funny because my grandfather sent me a list of 10 things. And the one at the end is my favorite. Well, the first two, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, love your neighbor as yourself. And then I often say, well, if you forget all the rest, that's okay. Just remember the first two. But number 10 says, remember that God loves you very much, comma, no matter what. No matter what. Right. And that's what I've always told my kids too, no matter what, because we're all going to mess up and, and it's like, but that's okay. Like you're, you're a person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, people, I think a lot of achievers in life, I don't know if you do any Enneagram studies. I'm very much a three on the Enneagram. They're followed by an eight, which is social justice mindset, but um, very much a performer. And I think people who are wired like this also hear that to say, I have failed, right? They, if they don't hear the, no matter what part, when they mess up, it's like, well, that's it. I'm no good anymore. I'm not performing. I'm not knocking out of the park. I'm not first anymore. I am lesser than. Yeah. hundred percent. So that's really good conversation. So thinking about what you're doing now and your daughter's 24, um, 
is there something that if you could wave the proverbial magic wand and and just that would change everything in your life or or is it just as it should be (laughs) yeah i think it's just as it should be because i I think sort of when people say if you could do anything on some level now i think it's kind of a misnomer right because i think that the chase is a misnomer i think it's about showing up authentically continuing to do that day in and day out that that's the actual accomplishment that's hard enough as it is right And, and so i now have this unwavering faith that by doing that everything is supposed to happen quote is going to happen had you asked me this question 20 years ago i'd been like here's my list i want to do this and i want to do this and i'm like some of those things i've done and again it doesn't make me any more or less than what i was before i made the list yeah i mean i when i used to get asked are you successful and i had to pause for a moment and think like hmm I'll be successful when, and to your point, when you finally wake up and realize if you go 30,000 foot down and look from heaven and go, dude, you've written four books, you've made a lot of money, you've all, both your kids have BMWs, like, come on, shut up. <laughs> like, yeah. You're doing exactly what you need to do. And, and it's fun when you can just snap the chalk and realize that, oh, every day I wake up, I'm just happy to be here no matter what it is. Even if it's hard, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Totally we true. really have the same kind of thinking, I think. Um, so this is a new question that I just started asking recently because I met with Timmy Bauer in Florida, who's a kid's book author. And he's he's writing my kid's book now, in fact. And so his question that he suggested that I add is, tell me a story when God showed up in your life and you knew it was undeniably God. Mm. <clears throat> well, unsurprisingly, or it should be unsurprising by this point in our conversation, um, when my second husband left me, because that's what happened, I went to the church where he and I were a part of for about 12 or 13 years. I had left the Catholic church. Uh, he did not want to go through Catholicism. So we went to a church for no other reason than proximity. Like our collective kids were young. We, I knew it was important to worship together. Uh, so it was a block from our house. And I think the underlying denomination was United Brethren. But for me, it was a teaching church. That's what I, you know, it's like, hey, here's a scripture. Let's read it. Let's process it. Let's put it into real time. So I was really enamored with it. I went to Israel, started teaching. That was when I was in the master's program. So I was really, really entrenched in that church. People knew us, uh, valued relationship there. But when he left me, um, I didn't get that same sense. I went right to the church and I said, I was weeping. So what do I do? I went to the pastoral care folks. I said, what do I do? I don't want to disappoint God again. I don't want this. Help me through this. And the counsel that I received, the very first thing was, well, you know, you can never get married or have relationship, like physical relationship with anybody. And I'm like, I'm not thinking about that. First of all, I'm in the middle of a divorce. So clearly not top of mind. Um, and I just was crying. And I felt like all I wanted was the love of Jesus and what I was being told were rules. And so now mind you, again, I'm going back to school during this time. So I'm, I'm understanding scripture a little more. So, so it's like, Hey, if an unbeliever leaves, let him leave. There were some references. And then he said to me, and by the way, you can't teach the class you're teaching for six months because that's the healing process. That is when I felt inside of me, like this overwhelming sense of confidence and love and my voice, I don't know how to say it. Otherwise it was like my, the Holy spirit within me, right. Is how I can explain it. And I looked at him and I said, and what chapter and verse might I find that rule in? Yeah. Amazing. 
And, and that's when I felt like, okay, you know what? There is a difference between religion and relationship. Like Jesus is not going to love me any less because I didn't follow some man-made rule. And, and I don't know, like, you know, yes, by nature, I'm a little like confrontational might be strong, but you know what? I have some discussions, but in that moment I was wiped out. I was so weak. I, I did not have it in me to push back. I didn't have it in me to question or be curious, but I had something rise up within me that said, let me tell you, let me show you who I really am. Wow. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. So high five to Timmy for giving me that question because that's, that's, great. that is awesome. Thank you. Whew. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Wow. Have you watched The Chosen? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right. That's a hundred percent in alignment with everything you're talking about right now. Um, so yeah, and I was actually at the NRB conference in Dallas a couple months ago now, maybe in June, and um, Dallas Jenkins was there, the creator of The Chosen. Wow. It was amazing. Like, I just get, I, right now, goosebumps talking about it, because that is the part for me when I really started to understand who God is, personification and relationship. Like, I read The Shack years ago, and I thought, wait a minute, Jesus is like our friend? You know, Catholic Church, I'm, I'm not trying to bust on it, because I love the um, sentimentality and the tradition of it. But I didn't hear that message. I heard an angry God message. Like you mess up and you say one less Hail Mary than you're supposed to and you're going to go to hell. Mm. I'm a performer. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> right. Well, to me, it's 70% of buyers are away from pain. You've been in sales. And so that's great. Let's, hey, if you do this, then you get that and you avoid this level of pain. And 30% are towards, and, and what my teaching is, it was towards pleasure. So you buy a Rolex because, not because you have a broken watch, but because it gives you an image or whatever. So I think the, the Catholic church is really built for 70%, the away, the away buyer. And, okay. you know, and, and that's not how Jesus came into the world. And that was not his message. Um, I, I have a friend who's part of Living Better Story who watched that whole movie, the whole show. And he goes, the one thing he recognized is all the people, all his disciples, they weren't like the best people out there, right? And they were like, whatever. They just had interesting backgrounds. And I think that was an aha moment for him. And I talked to a guy who was in, he was in jail 12 years ago on meth. So was his wife. They had a kid. And he finally said, I was broken, like the word broken. And then, and then you, and then he finally, he was like either going to take a razor blade and go into the bathroom and never come out or give it all to God and say, yeah, I'm broken. I can't repair myself. Like Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Right. Yeah. And he goes, I did it. And then God just directed all of it from there. Yeah. Right. Right. When it's like, okay, you got this buddy. Boom. <laughs> it, was yeah. like, it was that easy. Yeah. Um, just make the, make the decision already. Try it. <laughs> All right. Um, if you could go back to, to age 20 and say, mm -hmm. Hey, one thing, you know, I think of back to the future, right? Like what was the one thing you would tell yourself if, if you could. And then the second part I like to ask is think about 20 years in the future and you talk mm -hmm. to yourself there and then come back mm -hmm. to now. So there's kind of A and B in that question. What do you tell your 20-year-old self and what would you tell yourself today? Yeah, I would say um, stop drinking copious amounts of alcohol. Uh, I went to Ohio State, right? I grew up in a very small town where everybody knew me and then I just sort of went, see ya, I'm out of here and I succumbed to peer pressure. I would tell my 20-year-old self, just be you as you figure this thing out. There's no rush. Get away from your to-do list, get away from the people that, 
you know at your core are not people that you are in alignment with and just go be you because those people will show up. Wow. Yeah, that's great. So now think about 20 years out and you go, it's an hour exercise. We're going to, we're going to spare the listeners for the hour exercise. And it it involves a real visualization, getting on this bird that takes you into the future. You see yourself Mm -hmm. and you talk to yourself Mm-hmm. And you're like, and when you do that visualization, I visioned like I had a full beard. I think I was 10 pounds lighter, <laughs> you know, and I'm, but it's like, okay, then you come back to today and you go tell yourself those things. Mm-hmm. And there's so much in there. Like, oh, wow. Got it. I need to do a bigger, I need to do a bigger thing than yeah. I thought I did. <laughs> yep. Yep. So if you do that exercise, what would you tell yourself today? Forgive yourself sooner. Mm. Yeah, I would say self-forgiveness and um, yeah, believe that narrative instead of all of the constructs and the world's narratives and the world's expectations and assumptions about you because you know who you are. You've always known that. Um, And it's okay to get off track, but get back on sooner. And the way to get back on track sooner is forgive yourself for the mistakes that you've made. Those who know better do better, right? Maya Angelou. So I don't know. I didn't know much when I was 15. Uh, thought I did, but I would just tell myself that. Yeah. Keep going. Be be forgiving. Be gentler with yourself. My daughter had a picture on her 15th or 16th birthday. And there's a picture of her and the cake. And then she posted a picture next to it of when she was like five or four. And she was a model looking kid, you know? And so she goes, the uh, the only thing that's changed is the number of candles on the cake. Mm, nice. <laughs> I was like, wow. Cause she always knew who she was. She knows who she is. And that's, that's a le- deep level of understanding as a young kid. Definitely. So, pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. Last question. And that is what role does faith play in your journey? I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but this is always a fun question. Yeah. You know, for as verbose as I am, like for as many words as I can throw out at people, whenever I don't have really one that frames the level and the magnitude of how important it is. I just don't. Um, I'd be lost without it, utterly lost. I remember when I was sick, my mom said to me, I don't know how people who are not believers get through times like this. She's like, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 is what I hung on to. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I mean, we get weary, right? Life is hard and we get exhausted and chasing things and wanting more and just all the things that we think will, to your point, give us that pleasure, that 30% or whatever. Um, It's fleeting. It's not true. Without faith, there's always going to be something else. So I'm just, you know, I I don't have enough words to say how everything it is because God is all. And that to me is the baseline for getting up every day and doing life. Wow. Yeah. I can hear the song. Come to me, all ye who are weary and I will give you rest. Yeah, that's good. It's fun when my grandparents always demonstrated it. My parents, even recently in January, I was up against a tough situation and I went to their house and I actually stayed in the bedroom that I grew up in uh, for about seven or eight days. And every day they'd bring down a meal and they'd, you know, and the Bible verse and here, read this book. And and it's like, come to me, all ye who are weary. And it's like, that's, they were just purpose built 
for the prodigal son to come home and and be there and be and that that trajectory is why living a better story is a thing now that's why i built an app called 77 pray that launched not too long ago like three weeks ago uh, because of that demonstration and just think of the ripple that we can have as people showing god's love and jesus love that's right. everyone so amazing. that's right beth fisher what an amazing conversation i feel like we're brother and sister and i just met you <laughs> so, i know i love it i love when god does this his providence right like here we are hi here stranger are. no more yeah, that's right. Amazing to meet you. Um, I, I'm glad you've embraced grace and embracing grace. And uh, I, my new mission in life is is from the movie, uh, The Chosen, when they show the gray fish swimming in a circle. And I didn't know Jesus is also a bit of a rebel because you can see that in the movie. He's obviously to go against the grain of all the gray fish. Right. That's That's what he is. And I think that's why people like us are important in the world to cause other gray fish to realize that, oh, there's more to life than two, two groups against each other and all these other stupid things that people create. <laughs> We're all one. <laughs> Amen to that. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Beth Fisher, if you need, if you want to reach Beth, uh, I can tell she would be an amazing coach for you. If anything of this resonated with you today, which obviously it did me, um, reach out. It's bethfisher.com. Real simple. B-E-T-H Fisher without a C. F-I-S-H-E-R. Like Fisher of men. <laughs> you got it. You got Beth, it. great to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Jen. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ.